Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. We're a week removed from Device Talks Boston. You're going to get a little taste of it today. Thanks to uh, this week's episode sponsor, Clary. You'll hear more from Andy Byrne, the founder of Clary, a little later in the podcast. But uh, we're going to bring you the keynote interview that I did with Tom Poland, of course, the CEO of Becton Dickinson. Tom Poland and I spoke uh, the morning of the uh, the start of Device Talks Boston. So he uh, was a major kickoff point for the event. We were uh, in the large room, of course, and it was jam-packed. Thanks to everyone who uh, who made their way to Device Talks Boston. And uh, thanks, of course, to Tom Poland for uh, sharing his time and his insights. We talked about how uh, how he found his way into MedTech, how BD responded to the pandemic, what, uh, what BD has done to sort of uh, reorganize itself and reorient itself through a, a number of acquisitions. We'll talk about those as well. And also uh, some interesting conversations about succession planning at BD and uh, the unique track record they have in uh, in bringing CEOs on board. So uh, Tom Poland was very generous with his time and with his insights, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. Before we hear from Tom Poland, of course, we'll have uh, Chris Newmarker, Executive Editor of Life Sciences at Mass Device, delivering the award-winning Newmarker's Newsmakers, parentheses, he didn't win an award, but he would if there were such an award for such a thing, end parentheses. So uh, we'll we'll have Chris Newmarker in talking about the top five stories for the last two weeks, including some that broke during Device Talks Boston. And then we'll roll into the Tom Poland interview. Before we begin anything, though, I would like to bring in our sponsor, Clary. Clary is a very cool revenue management company. You're going to hear about it in this interview that we did with Andy Byrne, the CEO of Clary. Let's listen to uh, part one, and I'll bring you parts two and three throughout the episode. Well, Andy Byrne, welcome to Device Talks Weekly. Could you tell us a little bit about Clary? Sure. Well, thank you, Tom, so much for having us on the show. Really appreciate it. Clary is a revenue platform that helps CEOs, CROs, and chief commercial officers answer the most important question in business. Will they meet, beat, or miss on revenue? Uh, We are being used by great companies in the healthcare life sciences space like Perkin Elmer, Henry Schein, lots of genomics companies, lots of robotics companies. And fundamentally what the revenue platform does, our solution from Clary, is it allows sales reps to close deals faster, allows managers to drive more revenue, It allows execs to boost the predictability and accuracy of their forecasts. We are allowing companies to transform how they run revenue. And the value proposition is driving efficiency, driving more growth, driving more predictability across their entire end-to-end revenue process. That's great. We'll hear more of Clary's story a little later in the podcast. You want to find out more right away, go to its website, clary.com. That's C-L-A-R-I.com. Now let's begin this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. All right, you ready for this? Ready.
Chris Newmarker, you're not you're not sitting next to me this this week. So sad. No, nope. no, nope. I know that was that was that like was a, fun. That was cool. That was fun. Yeah, we were in the same state. It was so exciting. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was yeah. still still feeling the glow. That was still a good, buzzing. Was good show. Yeah, we show. everyone uh, everyone did a great job. All, all the speakers were great. Sponsors were great. The staff was great. The weather was Got great. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of positive, uh, a lot of positive comments from folks that really seem to thoroughly be enjoying themselves and heard a lot of good comments. Found too. it intensely valuable. Yeah, a lot of good comments from folks. Um, and we'll just have to make it better next year. That's all. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> got to keep doing it. Gotta got to keep momentum. making it better. We yep. got momentum. Well, it'll be even better next year. And now we're we're back home. I'm back here in Minneapolis on a on a Thursday afternoon, and it's uh, chilly and rainy. And uh, and you know we were gonna record this you know right at uh right at you know 2 p.m central time sharp and you were like i'm going to get some coffee i'm like coffee, <laughs> coffee sounds great yeah 3 p.m my great time coffee day yeah we had actually it's not too bad now but it was like 30 it was 40 degrees this morning like wow which isn't bad but when you're kind of used to not being bundling up for your dog walk it was like, oh man, I thought we was we was done with this, but that's a little sad. Yeah, in May, you know, you don't need. Yeah, I don't need. Fortunately, you know, I, it was great for device talks. Folks had great yeah, weather last week, so that's right. The weather gods smiled on us last week for device talks. I, you know, I was surprised to learn you do not grind your own coffee. I don't. No, it's very loud. I'm very bad at it. I'm very imprecise. Like, and I, I honestly, little- I don't like. I don't, I don't uh, really taste that much of a difference. I just really? Don't. Yeah. I mean, it has to be ground, you know, correctly. Yeah. So that, if I ground it myself, yeah. I'm not like, oh, that's a cup of coffee. Now, that's what I'm talking about. It doesn't make that much of a difference. It doesn't make me. that. Yeah. Are you worried you're maybe losing your sense of taste or something? Or No. I think, <laughs> I, I think, I think I'm placing my efforts and in, in thoughts exactly where they need to be. I got off Facebook. I don't grind my own coffee. I don't change my own, my own oil. I'm, I can delegate. I can delegate. Yeah, I don't change my own oil anymore. I don't want to get yeah. oil in my driveway. But, uh, yeah. but you know, <laughs> grinding grinding coffee, that's like just an extra minute. And, you know, it just had had some nice freshly roasted Peace Coffee beans, you know, for mini, Peace Coffee Minneapolis. Just ground them really quick. And it's I, very I, loud. I think it's, a, it's a damn good cup of coffee. No, it's a, I got a little crop. It's, 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 it's very loud. <laughs> Believe me, I can't put a... I, I get up early in the morning. If I put a fork down wrong on the counter, I'm going to hear about it. So, <laughs> Mrs. Device Talk doesn't listen to this podcast, so she has very good hearing, and it's Elise, on Elise, all are you, the time. Are you, are you kicking your ground coffee? Are you drinking Starbucks or, or like you drink? Yeah, we get no, super, no. we get it at the supermarket. I mean, if I find oh, yeah. a nice, if I find a nice <laughs> coffee place, I'll buy coffee there. But we're all about the economy here at uh, at yeah. uh, the Salami household. Is so, it- we'll, Starbucks, Pete's. Whatever stop and shop has, well, not yeah. Those are the two go to. I can't drink whatever, but uh, yeah. those are fine. You know, it's not like the best part of waking. No folders, no folders in the house. Or <laughs> I, I tried to. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna probably delete this because we're down a really bad rabbit hole. But I made a folders <laughs> reference to Steve Crow, our uh, robotics lead, and he was like, "What? The whole we replaced? Do we replace?" The coffee with this coffee, that was Folgers, right? Or was that something else? Was that Maxwell House? Oh, my gosh. Mm, let's I remember the Folgers jingle. I don't remember the, you know, I don't remember if it was Folgers or Maxwell House or they did the, like, like, we. 
It's like, come on. Like, did you re- we replace the like really gray coffee? <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, with this crap you can buy at the supermarket. <laughs> I had no uh, idea. Definitely deleting this. Go. We're going to get like food by soldiers. <laughs> be great. Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks everyone who came out for for Device Talks Boston. It was a, a great opportunity to gather in. We're working on, we're working on next year, of course, but we've also started working on Device Talks West, which is happening October 18th and 19th. I'm working on that agenda right now. And uh, that's Fantastic. really the next objective is to make that just as awesome as Device Talks Boston. So just five months away. Five months Unbelievable. away. Unbelievable. Coming up. Going to be like gone. It'll be there like that. It's just going to happen. Gonna, Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we've got some uh, some new Marcus Newsbakers. We didn't get to yeah. necessarily do them last year. Last week, we kind of did an overview of the Device Talks Boston event with Joe Mullings and Peter Stebbins and some real great thoughts there. If you missed that episode, please go back and check it out. Yeah, so but, there's uh, some big news going on, uh, you know, while we were holding the show. So, uh, so yeah, I figured I'd throw that in as well. So we got kind of a two-week new markers, newsmakers this time. All right. Well, so these are the top five stories for, yeah, some of these certainly broke during Device Talks Boston. So, Chris Newmarker, what is number five on the Newmarker's Newsmakers? Well, number five on the list uh, is that, uh, you know, Siemens Health and Ears uh, just uh, last week said that they were going to, uh, they're going to uh, discontinue the use of uh, Corinda's surgical robotics, robots for uh, cardiology procedures. Uh, you know, they, uh, you know, they're, you know, the um, c- CFO of Siemens Health and Ears, uh, Jochen Schmitz, confirm the strategy shift during the company's first quarter earnings calls uh, earnings call even poorly out of that the uh you know that they they still have a timeline for robots for neurological operations to reach the market in in several years but um you know this was referred to I mean people refer to this a bit uh during uh during the show you know and it's uh, it's fair to say that you know the uh you know there's the the big companies that came in you know like you know to compete against intuitive in the soft tissue robotic space i mean they're fine it's tough it's hard it's a competitive space yeah. intuitive had a lot of ground there over the years yeah and i had a conversation with mike mahoney the ceo of boston scientific we did a keynote interview at the end and uh, asked him about why boston scientific never <laughs> aggressively went into this into the robotic space and uh one of his rationale was like that we're not a robotics company we're a device company we do devices really well intuitive does robotics very well yeah basically stay in your lane and save the money so that he wasn't speaking specifically to any other company certainly not right. to corindus but the timing was interesting that the corindus news i think had broken just that morning so yeah, i suspect when they when i raised the topic i suspect a lot of people's minds went there initially but we've also had conversations about j and j i mean we had uh um they had some layoffs in California. They had layoffs in California, but we had Martin Bueller or our colleagues at the Healthcare Robotics Engineering Forum had Martin Bueller, who had yep. surgical robotics uh, for J&J present. And while he gave a great presentation, I think people were looking for some more direction as to where J&J was headed, and that wasn't clear. So I think yeah. it's safe to say with every the whole that the area is largely in flux with the exception of Intuitive, which seems to be forging ahead at full speed. So. Mm-hmm. And we'll have an intuitive story a little later in the newsmakers. Fantastic. All right. So, well, that that was certainly a, a big news. And you're right. It reverberated around the hallways 
at the Boston Convention Center. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. I mean, that seemed to be one of the big takeaways was kind of this idea, like uh, device companies. I don't know, kind of sticking to their yep, vetting. Exactly. We got 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 too excited about a, a bunch of like you know things like digital health or whatever you know, and so it's it's kind of like getting getting back to some fundamentals. But um, all right, is number four, Chris Newmarker. Well, number four on the list, uh, we've got uh, FDA. Uh, a, they it approved uh, Abbott's uh, Aterna spinal cord stimulation system um, for uh, non-surgical back pain. So I mean, this is uh, this is interesting, like an implantable, uh, you know, uh, neurostimulation device that uh, you know could you know looks like it could hopefully provide another option for people, you know, you know, with uh, back pain that you know they aren't uh, you know. You know, the, the you know surgery isn't an option for them, so they're not eligible for it. So, I mean, this uh, yeah, this should hopefully be some welcome news for uh, you know people who you know suffer from intractable back pain. So it's interesting. So the approval is for people who are not eligible to receive back surgery. So it's not for people who have had surgery and are still and still have pain. So so non-surgical back pain. No, it's it's a great technology. Clearly, there's others out there, uh, Medtronic, Nevro, and others who have have similar products on the market, or at least perform a similar function. Uh, and it yeah. always strikes me as the more the the more the better in this sort of way, because I think people respond to different types of technologies. Absolutely. All right. Let us roll on to, uh, on to number three, Chris Newmarker. Hey, number three on the list, we've got, uh, so in, intuitive, uh, they, uh, you know, announced, uh, you know, some executive uh, leadership changes. Uh, they uh, promoted Dave Rosa to the role of uh, president of the uh, the company. I mean, Gary Gothart, I mean, he's going to, he's continuing on as intuitive CEO. He's served in that role since 2020, uh, you know, and originally joined the company 27 years ago. But, you know, Dave, Dave Rosa is now going to be a company president. He's going to lead uh into his product, digital quality, regulatory, supply chain, manufacturing, commercial teams. And Rose himself has been there for uh, 27 years. So um, any thoughts on this? Well, we had Dave Rosa on the Intuitive Talks podcast uh, earlier this year. Yeah. Super, super nice man. Um, yeah. Thoughts? No, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, he seems to be the same generation as, as Gary Guthard. So I'm not sure yeah. if I necessarily see it as a succession plan, as if he would be the next CEO, though perhaps, you know, perhaps... Gary Guthard has has a timeline in mind when he'd like to stop being CEO, maybe become more of an executive chair or something. Uh, certainly, perhaps that's yeah. pure speculation. I have no insights on that, yeah, that totally, whatsoever. Yeah. Perhaps it's just a uh, a move to, as we said earlier, Intuitive is doing so well that you know they're growing at a pace and splitting the duties like this between a CEO and president just makes uh, stabilizes the organization, gives it more direction. Um, makes you know makes a clear chain of command the chain of command clearer and uh, for different things because now Rosa is leading it says Rosa now leads Intuitive's uh, product digital quality regulatory supply chain manufacturing and commercial team so I mean it is almost everything yeah, it sounds like most of the company <laughs> yeah. yeah right I mean the only thing I don't <laughs> see there is uh, well I guess product would be engineering yeah so it is most of the company so perhaps. This does give Gary Guthart more the ability to to look towards strategy and, and toward growth, while yeah, Dave Rose true. is managing the day to day. So uh, it's uh, kind of the same way, like uh, you know, U.S. president has a chief of staff who's like kind of like handling all the you know kind of like more you know kind of like the day to day operations, you know, while you know the you know the the the, you know, the president can you know actually 
think more strategically about things. So, you know, maybe that's, uh, maybe that's, uh, as I said, total, could be to total speculation here, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it could be some kind of, there seems to be some kind of, you know, maybe perhaps it's an organizational improvement they're, they're looking at with this. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's unusual to see this seismic a change without another shoe dropping in a couple of years. So, um, yeah, but, but we'll see. So yeah, Dave Rose has been there for 27 years. I'm looking up now. He joined in 96, which is roughly when Gary Guthart joined, I believe as well. Yeah. So they definitely came up the ranks together. Well, you know what? I think you need to have Dave back on soon and yeah. be like, Hey, what's going on? I think so. No, I think we definitely do. Or maybe, so. you know, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll have him at an upcoming conference. Who knows? Here we go. Ooh. Like device talk. Ooh. Who knows? <laughs> Nothing to report. Yet. Who knows? Stay tuned, <laughs> everybody. There we go. But all right. All right. Chris Newmark, let's roll on to number two. Well, some sadder news here. We've got uh, you know Cook Medical uh, laying off uh, 500 workers by 4% of their, uh, their workforce. Um, this is like one of the largest privately held med tech companies in the world uh, based in Bloomington, Indiana. You know, we've been unfortunately, uh, you know, reporting on like a whole string of layoffs in the industry. I mean, we're, you know, over, well over 18,000, you know, workers let go across the industry since uh, mid, uh, mid 2022, you know, according to our mass device reporting, but a uh, cook in its case is, you know, saying that this was, you know, part of kind of like a, um, you know, a, uh, you know, a long, uh, you know, like kind of like, you know, part of a long-term five-year plan. This is like a strategic realignment for the mm -hmm. company, you know, and uh, Pete Youngman, uh, the, uh, you know, the president of Cook Medical called this uh, the most difficult decision we've had to make in support of our strategy. No, it's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate. We've been talking about this topic for a long time, but I think we need to give credit where it's due. We, we've talked previously about companies not stating clearly how the workforce has been impacted this is up right up there on cookmedical.com it's right up there in their website explaining the whole decision and, and the why and uh very straightforward yeah. very ex uh, extensive letter i mean it, give them credit give cook medical yeah. credit and, and and uh and and president pete yonkman for for communicating no, the why true. to yeah. the, to its workforce i think that shows a lot of uh a lot of consideration so yeah kudos to cook medical they were giving uh, the uh, affected employees in the U.S. kind of a heads up with this letter as well. I mean, they're saying like the they're actually saying if you were, you know, if if you decide every day whether to come in the office or stay home, that the next day was a, a day to, you know, stay home, and that if you were affected, you'd be getting an email first thing in the in the morning from the company, like uh, detailing what was next. So I mean, but you know, at least, but yeah, I mean, he gave, it was a nice, a good long statement explain why they were doing this, you know, and, uh, yep. you know, giving, you know, so, you know, trying to, yeah, make, you know, make, make the effort to do people right. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's appreciated. And Chris Newmarker, you led a conversation at Device Talks Boston. You actually led off the whole conference with your conversation with uh, Shisha of Viant Medical, Holly Scott of the Mullings Group and Paul Grant of the MedTech Innovator Store about the, the, Career building for for engineers. Um, yeah, wondering any thoughts or takeaways from from that conversation. Well, I mean, just definitely a sense that there there is a lot of there is opportunity there that you know that yeah. I mean, we unfortunately do have people who are engineers, people who are experienced who are you know uh, are, are being let go right now. But I mean, this is you know this 
could be an opportunity to you know do something exciting in the in the startup space so you know give it give it a try be open to new opportunities i mean you know so you know you know you know what what may first seem feel like a setback and you know turn it an opportunity no nope, for sure yeah i think you know i think we'll hopefully see a, a rise in startups uh that will be uh requiring some experienced uh engineering help and experience medical, experience medical device help uh but we're also we're seeing other companies uh hire we we've yeah. seen a, a recent uh I mean, senior executive from Depew who's who's let go during their uh their uh layoffs uh took a senior position at Medtronic yeah so i mean there there are there are ways to find your there are ways back into the metal device industry for sure you know absolutely and uh, uh, you know it's it's worth mentioning Boston Scientific right now i mean they're they're hiring, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, they're, I mean, they've, you know, they've, uh, their, their most recent earnings call was definitely one of the more, you know, positive, optimistic ones I've, I've heard. So, you know, there, there's a bright spot right there in the device industry, um, around the Twin Cities, Atricure. I mean, they've told me they're mm -hmm. hiring. I'm actually going to plan to stop out there next week and say hi to them. So, you know, find out some more about, you know, what they're doing over there. So there's definitely bright spots. No, it's not, it's not definitely not all doom and gloom. No, for sure. But we did hear from, uh, we had a number of people attending Device Talks Boston who uh, have been impacted, have been laid off. Yep. Uh, they were able to attend the meeting and they were able to to bolster their networks a bit and um, were left, I, I think, feeling hopeful. So yeah, very, very grateful to those folks who came out. And I hope Device Talks Boston provided some uh, some hope and, and we'll be hearing good news from them in, in a couple of months. Absolutely. Or, not, or perhaps sooner. Exactly. All right, Chris Newmarker, let's roll on to number one. Well, number one on the list, uh, just, you know, more rumors about Shockwave Medical. I mean, really, it is all just rumors right now. But, you know, there uh, was, you know, some reporting in uh, streetinsider.com where they're citing unnamed sources saying Medtronic and Johnson Johnson are, you know, each, each have interest in the company. And this this follows up like Bloomberg, you know, reporting uh, last month, the Boston Scientific was eyeing Shockwave. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and uh and, you know, Tom, you asked Mahoney, you know, and, well, you know, he gave you, I mean, he gave you the standard, uh, you know, we're always looking for good opportunities answer pretty much. If I yeah, the, 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 yep. The definitely we're always, we're always looking for, right. for, 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 I don't remember the exact phrase, but basically the, we're always looking at acquisition opportunities. Right. So, uh, yeah, he wasn't about to say right. much more than that. And uh, but I'm I'm happy he said that because he could have just stared me down and I would have moved on to the next question. So <laughs> that was a great interview. So uh, yeah, he, was, was a, he, was a, he was a good sport with you with that question. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, we, we talked a bit about his. Uh, well, we'll we'll get into that oh, in yeah. a little bit. But uh, no, I mean, the shockwave is is. I mean, this is one of those situations. All these shockwave rumors. I don't know if I'd be. I think I'd be more surprised at this point if they were acquired than if they weren't acquired. Does that make any sense? Like the point where everyone's rumored to buy buy a company, you kind of wonder if anyone's going to buy the company. I don't That's know. That's true. Like what's going on? Like everybody's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's like who else? Who else is going to be rumored to buy uh, buy Shockwave? Edward but, Life uh, Sciences might buy. <laughs> there you go. Are you starting a rumor? Rumor? No. Rumor? No. This is, Chris Newmarker I, said, "I totally just made that up." Not, <laughs> Street Insider, do not use me as an anonymous source for your Edwards Life Sciences to buy article. <laughs> so we'll we'll see where that goes. But yeah. uh, no, Mike Mahoney was was terrific. We talked about his career and uh, 
and how he came to choose the uh, the job at Boston Scientific when he had uh, he was leading medtech at, oh, at yeah, Johnson that was, Johnson. That was great. That was yeah, it was it was great to just hear how he sort of. Uh, made that decision and uh, in this in this upcoming interview we're actually playing the other keynote interview i did with tom poland of bd and going back to the intuitive conversation about dave rosa and well whether this is a succession move or just a right. spreading of the responsibility move tom poland said in his interview and i forget the numbers but i think it was bd and i should have looked it up had something like seven or eight ceos over 125 years and they were all homegrown they're all picked internally and and i might have those numbers a bit wrong as you listen to the interview you'll find out whether i do or i don't but what was interesting is tom poland said he already had sort of a succession plan in the works uh it wasn't quite clear if he identified someone specifically or if he just sort of has like maybe three or four candidates who he'll be keeping an eye on to uh to replace uh, him as ceo someday so uh, it, it was interesting that uh, he's only been on the job a couple of years, but he's already looking forward to who's going to take over the responsibility some days, which I think is super smart. Yeah. So I think it's super yeah. responsible versus uh, versus how not to handle a succession that you could see on the HBO series of that name. So you know, that's uh, no. <laughs> not to do it. <laughs> that is getting very dark. Yes. Uh, no. And it's, you know, I didn't ask, I joked, uh, I talked to Holly Scott in the Mullings group recently and uh I didn't. I, it popped in my head when I was talking to Mike Mahoney. I'm like, I wonder if they have if he has a succession plan left, but uh, planned for himself. Uh, but I didn't ask the question just because it it was a bit off base. But yeah, you know, we did have, and you don't know who. So this again goes into purely pure speculation and also telling Boston Scientific. I'm um, sorry, Device Talks Boston. But uh, Megan Scantlin presented on the second day. She led a panel talking about Lithview too, and she's yeah. fantastic. I, I wouldn't. I'd be shocked if she weren't on a short list of, of uh, if not Boston Scientific CEO position, other people CEO positions. I think it's probably a matter of time before she's leading a company herself. I hope yeah. so. Anyway, definitely. No, I I agree. Yeah, and it's definitely I've it, it's something I've people I, I hear around. I mean, I hear a lot of like extremely positive things about her. So yeah, it'll be yeah. it'll be neat to see see what happens. You know, like absolutely. Like, like where, where where she rises up in Boston Scientific, or where, yeah, exactly where she lands next. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Very yeah, and cool. that again is again total pure speculation. Rumor, total speculation. Are we, are we doing just, like our speculation episode? Tom? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, why not? You know, give give people some things to think about. We're not saying anything is based upon anything right. other than just our own observation, which. We're not pulling take the old. That, take that for right. as many grains of salt as, as you'd like. We're not pulling the old fashioned like I'm not saying anything. I'm just asking questions. Like we're not doing that. Like we're just no, no, we're not doing that exactly. No. Yeah, we're good. But uh, <laughs> all right, well, great job, Chris Newmarker. I'm sorry we're not sitting on the same stage again. Uh, but uh, good, great job with the Newmarkers Newsmakers. Thanks, Tom. Good, good to see you over Zoom. Okay, before we begin this interview with Tom Poland, the CEO of Beckton Dickinson. I'd like to bring back our sponsor, Cleary. Once again, this is an interview I did with Andy Byrne, the CEO of Cleary. Andy Byrne, tell us how Cleary works with medical device companies. Yeah, let, let's talk about some specific people that are in the sales process in medical device companies, and let's talk about the value that we deliver. So first, but take a look at a sales rep. They have so much manual data entry that they need to do. They don't like to do that. They have so many people to be running around to hospital, to clinicians, to doctors. And what 
that is a such a painful process. We help them by doing two things. One, automating all of their manual data entry, simplifying their life. And then two, helping them with a new experience that they've never had before that allows them to easily deduce where should they spend their time? Where do they have risk? Where do they have upside? We predict what deals will close as a win, what deals will not and maybe slip, what deals they'll lose. So it allows them to use these predictions, artificial intelligence to automate their manual tasks, give them time back to sell, and as well as drive more deals and close more revenue. Now on the manager side, the managers have all kinds of blind spots and we eliminate those blind spots. What do I mean by that? They don't know who are the reps meeting with? What doctors, what use cases are they talking about, whether it's on the capital side or the clinical side? So the managers have a new level of visibility that they've never had that allows them to understand where they should coach, where they should spend time, that allows them to drive more revenue. And then finally, on the exec side, we get them out of Excel hell. We give them a new interface that allows them to accurately predict will they meet, beat, or miss on revenue using machine learning, it's analyzing all of their historical conversion rates, looking at all the activities that are happening across all of their deals, whether it's a capital sales motion or a clinical, more transaction oriented, and that allows them to be more predictable, more effective and drive higher shareholder value. All right, we'll hear again from Andy Byrne a little later in the podcast. Once again, if you want more information, go to clary.com. That's C-L-A-R-I.com. Now, let's begin the interview I did with Tom Poland, CEO of Becton Dickinson at Device Talks Boston. So I'm very excited to have uh, Tom Poland as, as our keynote speaker here. We're going to learn a bit about his career here, so I, I, I won't go into the intro, but Becton Dickinson clearly had been a central player over the last two or three years in answering the call for uh, all that was necessary during COVID-19, and, and they've also managed to acquire a lot of cool companies and transfer transform themselves as a company. So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, Tom and I will talk for a while. If there's time at the end, uh, we, uh, we can take a few questions. So uh, my colleague, Sean Hooley, will be sprinting about uh, with the microphone. So Tom, thank you for joining us. Good seeing you, Tom. Yeah, this is great. No, this is, uh, we, we talked in January for the podcast and with this idea in mind, but I was very excited that uh, you were making yourself available. You were our first speaker that we solidified. So okay. nice, I appreciate yeah. that. So you've, this is built upon your your agreeing to be a keynote. So okay. thank you very a much. Overstatement. <laughs> so I know we covered it a bit, but I always like to get into a person's path into uh, into medical devices. So what was it about the? Uh, how did you find your way into the industry? Sure. Um, certainly, I wasn't born um, in, in an ecosystem that, that kind of led me to, uh, to med device. I grew up in very rural country, literally farmland. Uh, that was my first job was bailing hay. My parents both dropped out of college uh, as they were sophomores in college. My mother got pregnant with myself, and um, so my dad dropped off, dropped out of school to work, and, and my mom dropped out to, to raise me. I ended up being the first person in my family, uh, extended family, to go to uh, to college. What brought me into med tech ultimately was an experience that ended up shaping not only the industry that I went into, but kind of my leadership style as, as well, I, I would uh, attribute to and some of the lessons that I, that I hold very personal today. Um, so when I was 13 years old, um, I had a sister, I have a sister who's three years younger than myself. Um, she's in, in kind of the defense industry. And obviously my, my father and, and mother were raising me out there in the country and we were getting ready for school one day. 
and my mother, who was extremely healthy, 35 years old at the time, collapsed right in front of me and died of a brain aneurysm, sudden massive brain aneurysm. And you know, what we didn't know is even if she was on the, the operating table, given the, the scale of it, there's nothing that, that someone could have done. But we ended up spending the day, you know, as a 13-year-old, of course, you know, seeing your mother go into convulsions in front of you, end up going to the, the local hospital, uh, chasing the ambulance in, in your neighbor's car, ended up going there, having her go to shock trauma, ended up you know, being pronounced dead by the end of the day. But going through that experience you know, as, a, as a very young teen kind of made an impact on me around the importance of healthcare, the processes that I saw and the opportunity to improve healthcare and to want to make a difference for others, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all in an industry that we're very blessed to be in. I often tell as we're recruiting MBAs, um, there's lots of cool industries you can go into. Um, you know, iPhones are cool, Teslas are cool, electric cars. Uh, AI is really exciting in many spaces. But at the end of the day, there's nothing else that matters in the world. As soon as someone or their loved one gets sick or ill, the only thing that anyone wants beyond anything else that's cool in the world, right? My teenage sons think that Nikes are really cool. As soon as anyone or their loved one gets sick, the only thing that they want is for them to get well. And that's the industry that we're in, right? That's the business that we're all in is helping people get well. So that attracted me to the uh, to healthcare overall, and we can, we can get into the, the journey of, of what I went to. But I'd say that experience also ended up really leaving an impact on me from a, a leadership perspective. It's certainly um, because my father ended up, he was traveling, trying to move up through, he worked for Bell Atlantic back in the big Bell days, started as a lineman fixing you know, telephone lines, but was working his way moving up, traveling. He had to go to his boss and say, I can't travel anymore, I'm a single parent, I've got to raise these kids. Um, his boss at the time, my impact on how I think about servant leadership, he said, I understand, his name's Tom as well, I'm a junior, so he said, Tom, fine, we're going to create a new job for you. It's not the same level job, but we're going to create a job for you that can allow you to focus on your family. So he ended up making a lot less, but he would go through walls for that company mm -hmm. afterwards because of kind of how that boss you know, met him from a personal basis. And that was a, kind of my first lesson in servant leadership. Certainly, I started working basically from 13 years on. I always work because you know, we live paycheck to paycheck as a family. It was cool. We can get that on Friday when, when our, my dad's paycheck would come in. So that kind of work ethic started with me very, very, very early on. And again, our purpose of what we do, which is advance the world of health, it's a very personal thing, having seen that, that firsthand and experienced it. So it's what brought me into healthcare ultimately, and, uh, and certainly influences how I think about leadership as well in many aspects. I can understand that. What, what sort of clarity does a traumatic experience like that give to a, a young person who's, I mean, they, they, we all go through life not, not expecting tragedy to touch us. And when it does, you're, you're changed forever. How did that change you forever, do you think? Yeah, when I would always get uh, you know, 360 feedback and they say that you're impatient, Tom, like you always are moving. I said, well, that's because I always think you don't know how long you're going to have you know, on the planet. So let's, let's get things done and <laughs> move things forward. Maybe that was a self-justification to the 360 feedback. But I think certainly that, that perspective of when I hit 35 years old, yeah. and you sit there and reflect, okay, you're actually older than your parent at that point in time. You just don't know. I think that's um, it's an important perspective to have. And what was the, what was the direct path in, into medical devices? What, you, what was your first effort there? My original master plan was to go to medical school. Okay. And uh, so I was actually working at Johns Hopkins doing research in uh, transfusion medicine and stem cell transplantation. 
getting ready for the MCATs uh, out of undergrad and ended up joining a small startup company, though, that was actually advertising at Hopkins. This was a Silicon Valley-based uh, company right in the middle of the dot-com boom based in Mountain View, California. I ended up engaging with them and joined as one of the first five or ten folks in this startup company, which was a phenomenal experience as an early 20-something. Um, ended up going spending a year in Japan, setting up the business there. Um, and of course, as a startup with that few people, you're the doing medical affairs, you're doing service, you're doing sales, you're fixing the instrument. This was in the kind of the cytometry, cellular analysis space. And so um, ultimately, that's what brought me to BD. We grew the company up a bit, and then we sold it to, uh, to BD Biosciences. So as you said, we've acquired 19 companies in the last three years, and it's, it's a pleasure to be able to stand in front of those teams when we bring them you know, as part of our family and say, I came to BD the same way that all of you uh, came to BD, and I remember exactly the way that that first day felt, um, but that's how I joined BD. Interesting. So a lot of companies, uh, startup folks, when their companies acquire, they, they spend their year or two there and then they go off to, to rinse and repeat. Uh, you stayed. What, what was it about BD that, that kept you there? And contrast, if you would, the, we were having a conversation just now about working in startups. Contrast the startup experience to life in a big company where I'm sure you have an abundance of resources and everything is available to you and you just yeah. have to snap your finger. No, I'm just joking, of yeah, course. That's but. <laughs> but so a couple things. One is, um, BD is, uh, I always tell folks, again, when, when we're talking to new associates to join BD, BD is med tech, right? You literally can have an entire career in med tech inside of BD. We have life sciences on one side with our diagnostics business and our flow cytometry business, deep in science on that end obviously through ultra high volume consumables with the most advanced manufacturing capabilities in the industry as we're making 40 billion units a year, right? We make six devices for every human on the planet. I mean, in the time that we're gonna be here in this room, over four million BD devices will be used. And then we have, you know, on the other side, the interventional um, platforms from BARD, right? With um, surgically implanted ports and valves and uh, stents and, and balloons, et cetera, with in between there, right, high-end automation, pharmacy automation, laboratory robotics, et cetera. So really the ability, and we highly encourage talent to rotate across businesses. So that, that's one is everything is, the industry is inside BD in, in, in a large part. I think the other thing is BD has a, a very um, history, and, and I think best in industry, approach to talent development. We founded BD University decades ago, and it's been a core, core part of, of BD and, and who we are in building and advancing our culture. So we have a, a very focused part of our culture, leaders as teachers, so all of our top leaders teach as teachers in BD University. Hmm. We have very structured approaches for leadership development. We have a close partnership with Wharton. We just sent a cohort of for our GM accelerator program. That's It's not just a standard Wharton course, but it's Wharton professors teaching things the BD way um, and what we want so folks to know as BD leaders. A physical university? There's a place you go? Or it's, it a, a it's a physical staff of okay. BD University, but we hold it at different, um, at our campuses around the world. I gotcha. And okay. we'll have thousands and thousands, like eight, 9,000 of our associates per year go through courses at, at, at BD University. Mm -hmm. So that was, that focus on talent development at BD is, is something that certainly kept me as, as someone early in my career. Um, and then the ability to, to rotate and do things across. I did leave for a short bit of time. I, I left for five years and went uh, to a company up in Chicago. Um, but that was really not my, my fault. I, I met my wife in between. She was a second year resident at Bethesda Naval Hospital. 
and uh, they had paid for her, her medical school. So you have to go where the Navy tells you at that point, or you go to jail, you get court-martialed, right? So she, uh, of the three surgeons that graduated that year, one got sent to Guam, one got sent to Iceland, she got sent to Chicago. So we, I guess we lucked out in a way. But I left, followed my wife up to, uh, to Chicago. I ended up joining Baxter uh, up at that point in time because we didn't have a facility there. And then when she got out of the, the Navy, she's now a breast cancer surgeon, but um, wanted to do her fellowship, had an opportunity to come back to New Jersey, and that's when I rejoined BD, coming back in. So, and gaining a different perspective from a different company. Interesting, that's, that's fascinating. So, when did you, uh, I'm intrigued by your career path in that, uh, I've seen other med tech companies look externally for, uh, for their CEOs, or some who have maybe have come in for a short time and have been elevated to, CEO role. You're, you rose through the bait, other than the five years in Chicago, you were BD through and through. When did you, did, did, was there a moment when you, when you decided you wanted to be CEO and you kind of saw it as a viable path or is it something you just keep rising to until it's the next step you have, you, you get to take? I don't want to say have to take, you get to take. Yeah, um, so I have been with BD over 20 years, going yeah. on 23 years, and I'll never forget that my exact anniversary because it was within a, a month or two of me becoming CEO. And one of the things is we have a lot of 20, 30, 40 year, um, you know, tenured individuals in BD. And when you hit 20, 30, 40 years, there's a letter that you get from the CEO. It's kind of you know robot signed. Congratulations on your tenure and all your contributions to BD. It's been tremendous, etc. And so I'll still never forget. I have the letter that says, "Dear Tom, you know, congratulations on your 20-year anniversary with BD. You've been phenomenal uh, in making an impact on the company." Signed, Tom Poland. At the end, um, <laughs> so I should write more letters like that to myself. But um, I still have that as. I'm sure it was habit. heartfelt. It was, yeah. it was yeah. definitely heartfelt. Um, so. But back to that, that topic. Um, and the question again was, sorry. When did you know, was there a moment you said, oh, I, wanna, yes, I want it. that job? Yeah, and, no, and never actually. <clears throat> not, uh, not until maybe very late in, in, in that process. I always just focus on what I tell individuals as they're coming up in their careers, is just focus on getting things done. Mm -hmm. right? And that's always been, been my goal, is to just make the biggest impact uh, in healthcare, the biggest impact on the company that I can, uh, doing so with a growth mindset, right? We strongly believe in one of the things that we trained over 5,000 BD associates in is growth mindset. There's nothing that uh, associates at BD can't do. There's just things that we haven't chosen to do yet, but always finding a way um, the, and doing it the right way. That's always been an important part of the mindset. And, and I think just doing that naturally, you know, things, things good will happen. And you ultimately became CEO in, it's one of those stories where you, you, you you achieved something. I took, I took the job at Device Talks 2019. You became CEO just prior to COVID, and then COVID hit. I'm curious, how did your, well, going into the, we'll just go, going in, did you have a sense of significant changes you wanted to make? Did you see things? I'm sure you conveyed it in your interviews where you wanted to go. Did you think that the furniture needed to be arranged? Were you a more stay the course CEO? What were, you, what were your anticipations going in? And then we'll talk about how COVID did or did not change that. Yeah. Well, we, I know we had spent a very thoughtful process as part of the transition. By the way, BD, so we're a 125-year-old company. I'm the ninth CEO in BD's wow. 125 years. 100% of our CEOs have been internally developed and promoted. Okay. Um, no external hires in, in that period of time. It's something, and that helps drive a, a very consistent culture um, back to you know, things that we value um, and how we operate as an organization and across a very diverse groups of, of med tech as, as well, um, that, why we encourage people rotating across. 
Um, so when I, when I came in, we had spent, I probably knew I was going to be CEO two year and a half, up to two years before I became CEO. And so I had really a lot of time to think through, and we did a very thoughtful, uh, spent a lot of time actually here in, in Boston with uh, someone who had been part, that was at Harvard, who had been part of the last two CEO successions, mm -hmm. who was a professor in organizational design that Vince and myself would fly up and meet with for kind of that last year as part of the handoff and our planning and, and having him be a thought partner in that. But I had written a document called BD 2025, which is our strategy, and really took a look back over the last two generations of CEOs and, and leadership in the organization, from Ed Ludwig to Vince, and had spent time reflecting on the journey that BD had, had gone on. Where we were then, three years ago, um, after we had just done Care Fusion and the BARD acquisition, which dramatically scaled the company from a $7 billion company pre-Care Fusion to going on a $20 billion company today with radically different capabilities, right? The kind of the, the old legacy of BD as this syringe and catheter company is very, very different today, right? We were one of the most connected med tech companies in the world with over 3 million smart connected devices. Hmm. Uh, we're connected to more than 70% of all US electronic medical records through our, our Pixis, Solaris platforms. Uh, we have quite sophisticated three to $5 million robotic systems, right? With, with Keystra and, and our Parada pharmaceutical automation and now this, you know, we have you know, 26 PMAs in our pipeline, a very active you know, set of more complex medical devices uh, through the BARD acquisition. And so right, reflecting on where we had, had come from, uh, what we have today and where we were going, we developed BD 2025, which is a focus on accelerating growth, shifting us into higher growth spaces, um, while continuing to make the, the impacts that we make on healthcare, simplifying an organization that scaled up very quickly and under the belief that, something I say constantly in the organization, is I'm a firm believer that complexity does three things. It makes it difficult for your associates to get work done, makes it difficult for your customers to do business with you, and it costs a lot of money, otherwise it's fantastic. Right, so we want to get rid of complexity. That's why simplify is a core part of our strategy. And then empowering our associates, which is driving that growth mindset, that servant leadership approach, and continuing that legacy of, of talent development in our organization, empowering people to, to move a large organization in an agile way. So that, that was our, our strategy, and we've been executing that. Mm -hmm. um, despite COVID happening in, in the first kind of 60 days of, of my tenure, we never took our eye off the ball of BD 2025, and, and we're really happy with the progress that we've been making on that. Well, how does complexity, what does complexity look like to you? Is it just a, a too many steps to achieve one thing? How, how do you define it, and how do you know it when you see it? Yeah, so we're focused in, in three areas of removing complexity. Um, and, and complexity can be in all different ways, right? So we have Kaizen teams that are, have been historically focused in our manufacturing plants, removing complexity on the shop floor, right, and in those processes. Um, where we're looking at fractions of a penny. We mm -hmm. make 10 billion syringes of the, uh, a year, a fraction of a penny matters. So getting lean and efficient and simple is really, really important. Um, expanding that across the broader organization has really been our focus. And so um, we're re remo removing plant complexity, um, so consolidating manufacturing facilities even more to where products, putting manufacturing to where products are needed. Simplifying our portfolio. I mean, we had 7,000 different IV sets that we made, 6,000 different Foley catheters, blue and pink, pink ones, yellow ones. You don't need all of, all of that complexity. Um, what, the, what are the real products that the customer needs that we can make sure we have the quality and the supply and availability and do that very efficiently? That's what, what's most important. And then we're very focused on removing organizational complexity. And so we've been focused on removing layers, um, removing checkers of checkers, as, mm -hmm. as I say, uh, in, in the workflow process. Um, 
again, just simplifying the way that work gets done, simplifying decision making in the company um, so that we're empowering you know, the front line in the organization. Uh, I wanted to follow up on empowering too. How do you <clears throat> convey to someone that they've got the authority to make a decision and to give them room to succeed or, or fail? What it's not, That feels like it would be a really systemic change to how you're dealing with people uh, or how you're managing people. First is don't, I don't make the decision. <laughs> so <laughs> make sure they know like you're supposed to make the decision. We actually rolled out a whole model in BD called the rapid model, which is, is um, defines who has different influences okay. and, and the D is obviously, the question is who has the D and that's a very common way to start a meeting or a discussion is who has the D mm -hmm. um, and that team align on this person is supposed to be making the decision and it's not a collective cohort of folks, it's this person makes the decision and, and owns a decision at the end of the day. That's a whole vernacular that we introduced in the company over the last couple of years. Interesting. So let's do talk a bit more about, uh, about the pandemic and, and when did when did it become clear, I'm sure it was early on, that this was going to, well, change everyone's world, but this was going to change your business, or at least you were going to have to uh, respond directly to what was about to happen. When, when did that become clear to you? Yeah, it was very, very early on, and, and I still, I'll never forget um, in the first, because it happened in the first 45 days, essentially, of, of when I took over as, as CEO, and over the next couple months, I had so many people come up to me and say, Tom, wow, we're so sorry, it's really tough, what a tough time to become a new CEO of a company, and, and I always had a very different re reaction, I always said, what, a, what an unbelievable time to become CEO of one of the world's largest, most impactful medical technology companies in a pandemic where our purpose gets to be fulfilled more so than ever before. And I couldn't be more proud of our organization and how we did that. So the first time I, I knew something was awry, was, I'll never forget, I got a text on my, my cell phone from our team in China who had sent me pictures of um, our service engineer who we had BD Max, one of our molecular platforms at the China CDC in Wuhan. And they weren't allowed and they wanted another instrument and it was one of the first ever COVID tests that was developed was on our Max in Wuhan when the outbreak first happened and the whole city had been quarantined around. This wasn't even in the news yet, but I had gotten pictures of, and this story of a BD um, service engineer who had to park outside of the quarantine zone and literally the photographs were him walking for two miles, dragging a BD Max on a dolly into the heart of the city um, which we all know later, and no, I had no idea what was going on other than this does not look good, and they needed a BD Max for something that was going on in the city that was out, there was an outbreak, and then obviously it started blowing up from, from there, and we started understanding uh, what happened. That was my first hint that something was going, going wrong uh, in, in the world, and, and obviously we all learned the story probably over the next month mm -hmm. it started coming out, but that was very early on. Uh, after that, and, and as we began to really understand what was happening, I, again, I couldn't be more proud of our organization. We quickly identified three things that we needed to do as an organization and, and to fulfill our purpose and our role in healthcare globally. And our purpose is to advance the world of health, and so we said we need to do three things. We need to help get the world diagnosed, we need to help the world get well, and we need to help them ultimately get vaccinated. And so right, we focused on doing exactly that. Um, first, we assembled a team as a leader in point-of-care diagnostics. Um, we focused on getting one of the world's first rapid COVID tests done. We were one of the first two companies in the world to actually develop a, a rapid test lateral flow for COVID, and we ended up making hundreds of millions of those tests 
you know, uh, in the subsequent couple years. That process, I'll never forget that. And again, we, we took the BD values that, that uh, we hold very dear to and, and use that as a guiding light for the process that we went through. Um, we always put patients first. Customers and patients first is one of our values, and I'll never forget that uh, it was a, a, a Saturday um, uh, evening, and we, at this point, we said, this is, a, this is not a diagnostic business project to go get the, the rapid test developed. It only takes us three years to develop a rapid test. We need to do it in three months, and then we need to scale it from normally nine million tests a year we would make. We said we need to make 12 million a month, and so very, very quickly. So this was, again, who are the best talents in BD? This is not a diagnostics business initiative. This is a BD company initiative. And we're going to take all the power and capabilities of the company and apply it here. So it was handpicking who's the best program leader in the company. It happened to be the general manager of our $2 billion pharmaceutical systems business who was living in uh, France at the time. So I called him. It was a, a Saturday evening. He was out on a, a sidewalk bistro in Paris with his wife drinking wine when I called him at, at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I said, Kevin, um, I need to ask you a favor. Can you come program head this project for creating one of the world's first rapid tests and that we need to get this done fast and there's nobody better than, than you? And he goes, okay, where do you need me? I'm like, you need to be in San Diego and I need you there until it's done. Could be three months, six months, but we, we need you there. So when do you need me there? Bye. I said, I'm thinking the plane's going to pick you up tomorrow morning. <laughs> and we're going to get you there. I've actually already told the pilots. And, uh, and, and he said, let me ask my wife. And, and uh, he calls me back in an hour, and he says, I'm in. And we had the plane pick him up the next morning. And, wow. and he, he came there. And we did the exact same thing across every other one of the functions. I called someone uh, that had invented our, our Veritor platform who was in retirement, uh, Rick, I'll, I'll never forget this discussion as well, and, and said, Rick, we need you back. Like, nobody knows this platform better than you. Um, just tell me what, you, what we need to pay you. And he said, I don't, I don't want you to pay me anything. He goes, I'm confident we can get this thing done, and I just want to make an impact. And he was in the next day working on this. So just seeing people rally. Wow. Um, and so we ended up doing that. We ended up getting it done in, in 90 days. Uh, we ended up scaling it to 12 million tests a month very, very quickly. In those early days, I saw Brett Gerard just put out a book. He, he highlighted BD. And very quickly, the first shipments of that, 70% um, of US nursing homes ended up with our platform. And it was one of the key platforms that was, it was the platform that were protecting the elderly in those early days in nursing homes, screening people to make sure that they weren't bringing COVID into those systems as that had already started becoming a major issue. Then we ended up um, making 2 billion additional syringes. We normally make 10 billion syringes in a, in a given year. We made an extra 2 billion just to deliver 2 billion doses of COVID vaccines around the world. I'll, I'll never forget being in a discussion at the White House. I got to know the folks there quite well and, and uh, we were meeting with the head of supply chain. And he said, you know, Tom, I, we need a lot of syringes here as part of this vaccination campaign. And he said, how many do you need? He said, I probably need you know, for the U.S. and some of our partners, ex-U.S., I need a billion. And he, he said, I said, when do you need it by? And he started laughing, and he says, do you realize there's no other company, when I ask them for a billion of something, that you just casually say, when do you need it by? And, but that's the type of scale that, that, and we ended up, you know, doing that within a year, we made two billion additional syringes and, and provided those to vaccinate two billion people around the world. And then 90% of any patient that went into the hospital for COVID treatment 
was um, touched by our products as well. And our team did a phenomenal job, whether or not it was ramping up pump production for the, the, uh, the field hospitals or, or PIXs for the field hospitals or even custom creating when PPE shortages were happening during COVID. Um, every time that a nurse would go between patient rooms, they would have to regown. And what's one of the number one reasons that you have to go into a patient room is because the damn pump alarms and you got to go turn it off or you got to go change the bag. And so we thought, how can we help this? So we we had a very, very few, we would make a couple hundred of them a year, these ultra-long IV sets, so that you could actually put the pump not in the patient room, but out in the hallway. And then you could interact with the pump without ever having to regown and go in the patient's room. You could change, stop alarms, you could change bags, and just have the super long tube go under the door into the patient's room. And so we set up a whole facility in Mexico just to scale those up at, at a, a record level that you would only ever want in this situation. But again, we couldn't be more proud of how the BD team um, really showed our values. Um, you know, we often say now, crisis doesn't build character, it reveals character. And this is certainly a crisis that we saw kind of the character of BDB revealed in. We'll take a quick break from this conversation to hear from our sponsor, Clary. Once again, here's an interview I did with Andy Byrne, the CEO of Clary. Andy, this is an exciting time for the medical device industry. How do you see the industry evolving in the future? Well, this is where it gets really interesting, Tom. Generative AI is the future. You're hearing about it everywhere. We're already deploying it across these different revenue moments that I mentioned, and we're working with large language models. You know, we've been delivering artificial intelligence now for 10 years, and we've been working with these large language models and generative AI to be able to shrink the time to revenue, the time it takes a company to get results from their revenue process. How long does it take a rep to update their deal and showcase where that deal is going to land? How long does it take a manager to look across 10 reps that each have 10 deals? That's 100 deals where to figure out where they have risk, where they have opportunity. How long does it take to roll up a forecast? All of these different human-oriented moments are now leveraging generative AI and large language models to shift what would take an hour comes down to literally a second. What would take a week comes down to 30 minutes. What would take a month comes down to literally less than an hour. These are moments where we're going to see productivity and efficiency in a way that we've never been able to quantify before that imagine driving that across all sales reps, all managers, all execs across a 13-week cadence. And if we can shrink the amount of time it takes to drive results, we call that time to revenue, using generative AI, these companies are going to see so much incredible top-line performance at lower costs that will drive higher shareholder value. So the big thing that's coming, like a freight train, is generative AI and changing the entire revenue process end to end. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Andy Byrne, for joining us on Device Talks Weekly. Once again, if you'd like to learn more about Clary, go to its website, clary.com. That's C-L-A-R-I.com. Oh, and I think someone leans against a light switch uh, in a few minutes and the room will go dark, but the lights will come back on again. In case you're wondering what happened. What, le- what lessons did you retain from that experience? How is the BD today different than the one in 2020? I mean, we all have snapped back to some version of normal, but we're not quite the same. What, how is BD not quite the same? Yeah. 
I think, you know, and this is true of, I'm sure, most everyone here, so many diagnostics, so many just med device companies had such a tremendous impact in helping the world move through the pandemic. And I know there's a, just a wonderful stories that, that all of you can share in this. You know, for us, I'd say that that, that growth mindset and, and the idea of when you first put on the table, we're going to do something in three months that normally takes us three years, it's like that, that physically isn't going to happen. That, that can't happen. That's a, that's a crazy request to actually do it. Um, and to do it, though, in a way where you can see all of the power and of leaders leaning in. I'll never forget also some meetings early on there where so the, the first secret, if you one, were one of the first people getting a test out, it was all around the antibody. Remember, antibodies are often grown in mice, et cetera, and so it's not like a virus comes out and suddenly there's amazing high affinity antibodies available the next day. That doesn't happen. And so we were working with DARPA, with universities all through Europe and Asia, <clears throat> just trying to source like who has an antibody and let's get it. And we were getting hundreds of antibodies. Any antibody we could find, we were flying to our research center in North Carolina to screen them to see what could actually have affinity enough to have a high sensitivity test. And so I remember once we, the team said, well, we found an antibody that we think is promising. It's in Germany, FedEx, because they were down, it was going to take a couple days to get it there. We said, we're going to send the BD plane there and get it to you tomorrow mm -hmm. for screening. And I still remember the team said, you mean we're just going to send the plane there empty and we're just going to bring it back with a vial on it? Yes, because that saves two days and two days matters in this case. When they ultimately thought that an antibody worked, normally the process would be because you have a small scale, which may cost a couple thousand dollars for the first lots, and then when you want to start getting tanks of it, it may cost a million dollars for an antibody for full commercial production. So the first time we thought we had a, a very promising one that could go in, um, they said, well, we're going to go ahead and order the small lot. We're going to see how that works. And in two weeks, then we'll know if we order the, the large million-dollar tank. And we were meeting every night on, on this. And, and we said, let's go ahead and just order the million-dollar tank now um, in case it works. We want to save two weeks. And we ended up throwing away that million-dollar tank of antibody. It didn't work. But um, what we did is, right, we took the, the accountability off the team. The leaders stepped in as a servant leader perspective and worked with the team. And I still, that team still jokes and says, if we could run every project in BD this way, this would be phenomenal. <laughs> we can't, can't do that. that. That's good. But it, what it does is it shows the importance of leaders leaning in with the teams, removing roadblocks. It's something that we also train our leaders in BD to lead from a servant leadership perspective, mm -hmm. right? You're there in the front lines. Uh, the leaders in BD are at the bottom of the pyramid. The customer is at the top. The front line is at the top. We're all at the bottom and, and here to serve the organization. We like that mindset as well because it means everything important happens above you. And as a leader, the whole idea, right, the kind of historical discussion of cascade messages down, et cetera, we all know that doesn't work. Um, we think that inverted approach is, is much more indicative of how leaders need to think as well. It's about, it's hard work to get that message to make sure that the very top of the flywheel is spinning that top gear and you got to keep push, push, pushing um, the strategy, the message, right, the, um, the, what you want done until until the entire organization understands it. So those are some of the, the lessons that we've we've taken. I'd say really that servant mindset, the the uh, the servant leadership, the growth mindset. And then probably the other one was we spent a lot of time during COVID and something that we've continued to do is we share the stories of, of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, right? Advancing culture is a lot about sharing stories and making folks aware of of what the norms are in an organization. We created a, a lot of next step norms that we wanted to keep 
as future norms going forward after COVID, right? That pace, that problem solving, that ability to see a challenge and just keep going through it. Um, we saw that in spades in COVID. And so we've continued to build on that momentum and I'm really pleased that that, that stuck. The other thing is, um, Media is a 125-year-old and, and high-performing company. You can imagine, imagine we measure a lot. Um, metrics are important to us, right? We get paid on metrics. We, we have operating committee reviews every month to review a lot of metrics. But even more important than metrics for evolving a culture is and something that, and there's obviously the saying, you get what you measure. Um, we firmly believe you get what you celebrate as well. And I'd say that you know, this process of celebrating what we did during COVID, celebrating the teams, and continuing to do that, we have a lot more things that we celebrate today than probably a couple of years ago, because that's, th that is what drives a culture as well. Mm -hmm. To people, it's a lot more fun than you getting what you measure. We still measure a lot, and we always will do that. But getting what you celebrate, I'd say that's something that's an extremely powerful part of driving culture and, and performance in an organization as well. That's great. How, how long did that gentleman end up living in San Diego till the project was done? He ended up uh, retiring after that. <laughs> <laughs> he was done. We ended up keeping him in that business because then we needed to get it. Then it was Kevin. Now we need a flu COVID combo test. <laughs> and then we were one of the first two companies to get a flu COVID combo. We're still one of the only two companies with a flu COVID combo test. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to talk about your uh, string of acquisitions and, and the spin out of Embecta. Uh, sort of talk about more of, the, more of the intentional change. And then if we have some time, we can maybe take one or two questions from the audience. Uh, but when, when we spoke at the, on the podcast earlier on, I, I was surprised that you, know, you said you had 19 acquisitions over the last two and a half years. I mentioned the, the, the spin out. Talk about this intentional change that you've undergone at, at BD, bringing new companies in, new products in, and give us some highlights on those acquisitions and, and how has it changed the company? Yeah, sure. So as, as part of our, our 2025 strategy, you know, one of the things that BD has done over the 125 years we've been in existence, so suddenly got very Yeah, I know. It's your, it's your birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Someone from your past is going to walk out the um, But <laughs> There we go. There we go. There we go. Um, so back, back to the good question. Um, I forgot the question. Uh, okay. We're no, no. talking about, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know it's. So on, on BD 2025, um, as we step back and, and looked at where we were, and something that BD's been very, has really built BD into what, what we are today, is, is BD has had a, a great ability to identify future trends, get ahead of those trends, and create significant new growth opportunities for the company while transforming healthcare. So if you think about what built BD, BD was the first company that invented disposable medical devices, right? BD, you started making glass syringes. You'd have to wash them. And then BD invented the technology that you would put specific um, chemicals in polymers that would allow them to become, remain stable when gamma radiating them to sterilize them and then scale that up. That's what put BD on the map as, as a med tech company was inventing the first disposable medical devices. Um, then you ended up getting into healthcare worker safety around needle stick prevention, created a whole new wave of growth. There was a TB pandemic and HIV pandemic. BD ended up with CD4, CD8 monitoring and the first automated TB diagnostics created a new phase of growth for the company. And so as we were looking at, at BD 2025, we identified that there are three irreversible forces that we see reshaping healthcare today and over the next decade, and the BDU is extremely well positioned to make an impact in. And those three are smart connected care, robotics and automation, um, enabling the shift to new care settings, and the third one being improving outcomes for patients with chronic disease. And so as, as we looked at, at our portfolio, 
know, one of the things that is so exciting about BD is, is we are ubiquitous with delivering healthcare. I mentioned 40 billion devices we make a year. 90% of any patient getting healthcare in a hospital is going to be touched by a BD product. <clears throat> we serve more than 190 countries around the world. Um, and that gives us a scale and, and a presence in most every healthcare system around the world. And we continue to focus on innovating. Most of our capital goes into that space from manufacturing capacity. But we ended up shifting um, about 65% of our R&D into those new transformative spaces. 95% of the M&A has been acquiring companies in those three transformative spaces, um, those spaces of smart connected care robotics automation, specifically around laboratory automation and, and uh, informatics, medication management and pharmacy automation and informatics, and then nursing productivity technologies. Um, same thing is, is acquiring technologies, whether or not it's point of care technologies or home care-based technologies to help enable that shift to the new care settings and then the same on technologies that meaningfully improve chronic disease outcomes. And so what we've been doing very systematically is shifting BD into those higher growth spaces that are transforming the future of healthcare, uh, both organically and inorganically. That was also part of our spin of, of Embecta, uh, which was a, is a, a great impact company now, um, one of the world's leading pure play diabetes drug delivery companies. Um, they have their own focus though, but it was not aligned with where we were focusing, right? It's, that was a very much kind of a Walmart, CVS, Walgreens mm -hmm. call point, different from where we were focused on pharmaceutical companies, on healthcare providers, on researchers in our other businesses. And, and we've been making tremendous progress there um, in reshaping our portfolio into these higher growth spaces, accelerating our, our weighted average market growth by well over a point over those last couple years. And that combination of doubling down, we both increased the level of R&D. We went from about 5.5% of revenue to over 6% of revenue spent in R&D today. We shifted it into those higher growth spaces, and then we've been supplementing it with quite robust tuck-in M&A, which if you look back, that hasn't been part of our legacy historically, right? Up until the CareFusion acquisition in 2015, the largest acquisition BD had done in its first 110 plus year history was a $300 million acquisition of a company in, in Utah, and then really very sporadic M&A prior to that. Then boom, $12 billion CareFusion, 20-some billion dollar BARD no real tuck-in M&A in between because we had levered up to 4.7 times and we're focused on paying down debt. Now, a very consistent part of our strategy is utilizing our strong cash flow, often from that core business, to be reshaping our portfolio into these higher growth spaces. And, and you can see the impact in the company's growth rate today and in our impact on, on healthcare and where it's heading. What does the automation and uh, business look like? And how do you anticipated the, the, the challenges, that the, the stresses on workforce? Did that lead to the development of the strategy? Because we're certainly hearing more about it now than we did three years ago, but I'm sure it was building at that point, and that was yeah. something you were building toward. Yeah. Well, we had acquired, we had started in, in laboratory automation with a company called Keister that we had acquired, which okay. really is taking off more so than ever now. Uh, had already been growing strong double digits, but now is, is a rocket ship. Um, because of labor shortages, you can't find microbiologists, and this basically allows you to run a microbiology lab with two-thirds less staff. It's robots that are picking colonies and are streaking Petri dishes and are imaging Petri dishes, and we're using AI software to say what the bacteria are and, and auto-report that. Uh, we just got another FDA clearance last week on a new AI algorithm that's reading Petri dishes rather than having a clinician do it. 
But we've built, I think one good exemplar of, of our strategy has been we've built a $600 million pharmacy automation business just over the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Started with a business we had acquired from that came with the Care Fusion acquisition, was based only in Europe. Um, we then did a series of three other acquisitions, smaller acquisitions that were giving us pharmacy automation for surgery centers and, and long-term care facilities, a company called MedBank. We acquired another company that helped um, manage the will call rather than paper bags and coat hangers. And, and when you walk in and get your prescription, this was an automated system that, that would pull the prescriptions for the pharmacists. And then we recently bought Parada, which is the, the US leading pharmacy automation platform, which is just the fundamental belief that there should be no pharmacist that sits in the back counting pills into an amber vial. That should always be a robot. It, it's way more efficient. It's way more accurate. Um, there's basically zero error rate with a robot doing it. There's a 5% error rate with humans doing it. And so that, that business now is a $600 million business. Those four acquisitions have, have created growing strong teens. Um, and so we're really happy with with that. Um, we continue. I, I think what's exciting is those trends that we see reshaping healthcare, we've now built a number of very high growth, plat growth platforms in the company. So I just shared with you one example of pharmacy automation, a $600 million business growing strong double digits. Think about what's happening in reshaping chronic disease management and the role of biologics and specifically um, cell therapies and immune oncology, which as the leader in flow cytometry, none of that's really being developed without flow cytometry, right, which is the study of cells in the immune system. And so we're seeing, we've invested, that was an area we doubled down on as we reallocated our R&D investments. We're seeing very strong growth there. We grew 18% this past quarter, almost 19%, 18.7%, not that anyone's counting. Um, in, in that bioscience business, we've got a super exciting new product launching here this quarter called Facts Discover, which is going to be whole new category of flow cytometry that's going to come out. It was actually on the cover of Science Magazine, this technology. Um, I mean, one of the most advanced technologies in med tech. It takes pictures of cells in addition to fluorescence and allows you to sort on that um, at thousands and thousands of cells per, per second. Um, that business is now over a $1 billion business growing double digits. Our farm systems business, right, today in the first time ever, Biologics represent a much larger portion of the pipeline than small molecules in pharma. And that's going to continue. And the shift to new care settings is that people are looking at not having to have people infused with drugs, but being able to inject those drugs and inject them themselves at home. Um, and people are putting wearables on more so for injectables going forward. And so our pharmaceutical systems business, we've also have built that into a very big growth platform. That's a $2 billion business now, growing double digits for the last 11 quarters in a row driven by that shift into biologics, driven by that shift now into wearables. Uh, we have wearable platforms that we're, that we're launching. Um, pens, auto injectors, I think about 60% of all biosimilar insulins are coming out in our insulin pen as an example. Um, that's fueling the growth of, the, of that business and fits very much aligned with those, those trends that we've been seeing. Right. And we'll, we'll, if someone has a question, we'll take one question, Sean, if you get the microphone up. Um, and we'll let you have a drink of water. That's a question. Oh. Are you done making acquisitions for a bit? You you digesting? We're focused certainly on um, finishing the di digesting yeah. a prod acquisition. Uh, we obviously have a very strong pipeline, though, and we'll continue to have tuck-ins, discipline tuck-in M&A as an important part of our, our strategy. But we're really pleased with how Prada's gone. We're well ahead of our deal model. We're already seeing revenue synergies. We actually just up 
um, increased our guidance this past quarter, which was uh, our call was last week. And, and part of that was strong base business performance, but part of it was early revenue synergies on the product acquisition. So we're really pleased with how that's going. Fantastic. Yeah. All right, we'll take one. Hi. Uh, thank you for sharing your experiences. Um, so it's actually two questions. One, in your path to CEO, um, why do you think your predecessor chose you for the job? Um, and then the second part of the question, thinking about M&A, is um, at what stage of a company's um, development do you guys seriously consider looking at an acquisition? So preclinical clearances, sales, um, and where do you uh, really identify companies like yeah. that? Yeah, it's a great, great question. On the first question, I, you know, that's a trickier one. Um, uh, again, because we promote it inside, I, you know, we always look for people who are first off is exhibiting the BD values, right, and, and, and our culture and are going to continue that. That's certainly one. Obviously, had been in the organization and, and had advanced businesses. I had led the strategy for the Care Fusion acquisition and had made that happen. So the ability to continue the company, I'm sure he and the board had looked at continuing the company in, in the vision and direction that, that BD has the potential to realize while, while doing things differently as well. I think BDs, we're always looking to do things differently. You'd have to ask him otherwise. You know, go through a lot of intelligence tests and, and assessments and, and et cetera, as well as part of those processes. And we always put through pools of people, right, um, anytime we're looking at that. And I've already started, right? As soon as I became CEO, my first meeting with the board was talking about my planning for my successor. Wow. And I already review this July. I'll be going through an additional slate of candidates for me as a success, for my successor. Even though I'm three years in, it takes time to develop. Again, I don't plan on breaking that, that tradition wow. of, of being able to tee up very solid internal candidates to our board uh, whenever that, that time for me to, to transition from the CEO role is. So that's just something that's important to us. Um, and we'll put them through very formal development plans that will take many years, right? And we look at people at all different levels of the organization and reach in, um, you know, whether or not given time horizons. So that, that's one. In terms of what, uh, when we look at companies, so we, we've probably evolved that a bit. One of the things that we did when I came in into the role was look at where have we been successful and where have we not been successful in doing acquisitions. And uh, right or wrong, the reality is BD has not been successful in acquiring early stage companies and bringing them to market generally. Th those tend to, to make up the vast majority of things that didn't go well. Um, what BD, who are we? We are a very large um, manufacturer, so anything that we can scale up, we do phenomenally well. We have deep capabilities there. We have a huge commercial presence globally. Take the BARD acquisition. We doubled the size of the BARD business in China already since, since the acquisition there. That's all through leveraging our scale and, and, and breadth. <clears throat> and, and you know, we can improve processes and systems very well. So when something is just about to be cleared and available for market or, or soon thereafter, that's a really good time for us to acquire. Or if it already has scale and we can take it to the next level, like a Parada acquisition. Parada was very, very strong in the retail sector. Think about going into a Kroger's or, or a drugstore and you'll find Paradas all over. Hospitals. Uh, are looking to consolidate and create central pharmacies for themselves, these central pharmacy warehouse. They didn't have a presence there, so BD's presence as you know, connected with pretty much every hospital on the planet, our ability to leverage them into that channel, right, that was a really strong match. And so um, th now that what we've done is a little different. Rather than acquire product companies when they're earlier stage, we've been making more investments. So we've been making much more investments and looking at opportunities to stay engaged, maybe sit on the board, have a right to acquire, um, but let them do what they do best, which is get those products 
towards clearance and then come together and, uh, and, and share in the value creation as we go forward. I think that's our, our biggest learning. We really look though at, we have very specific spaces that we're focused on. There's never a time where someone just comes in and says, hey Tom, how about this new space that we do an acquisition in? That's not gonna happen. We have very specific areas that, you're not gonna see us get into cardiac or ortho. Those are not our spaces. That's not where we have capabilities to leverage. We have very specific areas that we, know we have presence in, that there's new exciting growth areas adjacent to, um, that we're focused in building our funnels in. And so first that we look at is, is, is it in a space of interest? Second is, does it have a technology or a current market position that can make it a leader in the space? We're number one in 90% of the markets in which we compete. It's important that, that we believe strongly in being number one in pretty much all the spaces in which we compete is, is our goal. And so we want to make sure that we're acquiring companies that are already, already at the scale, like a Parada was already the leader in that space or has a unique technology that we think can, can unseat whoever is the number one you know, when combined with our capabilities. And then the third is um, right, the financials. We remain very disciplined when we do M&A on the financials. There's been tons of deals that we look at and they have met category one and, and kind of check the box on the second item, but it has, has a very low return and that doesn't fit or it's highly dilutive to the company and, and we don't, you know, we'll, we'll step away from those for that perspective. So once kind of all three of those green lights turn on, you know, then, then we move forward. Fantastic. All right. Well, this is our time. Tom Paul, thank you for joining hey, us. Thank you, the Tom. Sox awesome. All right. Well, that is a wrap, is Chris a wrap. Newarker. It's a wrap. Wrap it up. You got a In fact, you, you said it's a wrap last week. I didn't do my it's a wrap at the end of the I said the, it's the, a wrap, and then I forgot to say did. like. Follow, subscribe. I, I forgot to ask you about yeah. that. I was kicking myself later yeah. on. I mean, we could have had a, li a live like, follow, and subscribe uh, in front of dozens of people who are still in the audience. We could have with us. Like, next time. Exactly. Yeah, oh, I my God. Now you're, hurting my, now you're hurting my heart. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> thank God. Thank you, by the way, to all the people who stayed and yes. watched us do that interview. Yes. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. That was cool, but it was nice that people stung around and asked questions and was part of it. So we'll we'll definitely do that again. I mean, Tom, uh, we've both been at shows West. where like it gets really sad near the end. Like, you know, not not our shows, but other, we've been to people's shows where it's been like, like, oh man, it's like there's no there's people are people are getting out of here. They're you know like our show. It was that was nice. That was like nice that we we it was it had such a good good feel to it. People wanted to stick around to the end, so that's awesome. No, I agree. Yeah, no. And I, and, I, and there's two schools of thoughts when you're putting together an event like this. You want to have like a killer keynote to end it so people stick around. But you're there for two days. People grabbing flights, four o'clock, five right. o'clock, six o'clock flights. They're not sticking around. You could have you could have uh, the CEO of whatever company up there and they just got to go. Uh, so I don't want you wouldn't want to get someone like that on a stage and not be able to deliver the, the, the jam-packed rooms that we had for Tom Poland from Mike Mahoney. I mean, yeah. it was, I could only see from the stage, which was very brightly lit, but uh, look, it, it was stuffed, correct? Oh, it was stuffed and it was impressive too. Yeah. Like the, you know, amount of people who wanted to talk to them after, after those, those talks oh, yeah. as well. I and mean, they, and they talked to them too. It yeah. was amazing. They had a line of people up the, up the middle of the aisle and both Tom Poland and Mike Mahoney just shook hands and took cards and shook hands and took cards. So, Thank you to those uh, those gentlemen for doing that because yeah. that, that means a lot. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. All right. So, Chris Newmarker, what do you want folks to do? They got to like, follow, subscribe. There it is. Like, follow, there subscribe. If you're listening at home, say it along with Chris. Like, follow, follow subscribe. subscribe. <laughs> to the Device Talks Podcast Network. You'll get future episodes of Device Talks Weekly, Intuitive Talks, 
Stryker talks, Boston Scientific talks. Uh, coming next month, Abbott talks. We've recorded that first interview, so we're working on that right now. And I uh, hope to have much, much more. And uh, also, of course, subscribe separately to Medtronic Talks. I'm actually doing my first interview for Medtronic Talks uh, on Monday for this season, this year's episodes. And uh, we should have that out in a couple of weeks. So we'll Fantastic. be resuming that. Make, make sure you don't miss any of those podcasts. It's going to be a good one, too. A very uh, high-profile business. Who is it? So uh, <laughs> you'll have to oh, you'll have to that? subscribe. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll sign it over Zoom. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah. So, like, follow, subscribe, and please share this episode on social media. If you do connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I, and connect with Chris Newmarker. Find me Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. Find me on LinkedIn. There we go. All right. And uh, that's a wrap. That's, uh, thanks, everyone, for, uh, again, everyone who came out to Device Talks Boston last week. Bless you. Thanks so much for being part of that. Thank you for listening to this podcast and uh, tune in next week. We'll have another great episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast coming up directly to you. Take care, everybody. <laughs> Are you going to stop laughing so we can get back on track? Yeah, let's I can't go on, on for three minutes about coffee, <laughs> grinding coffee or not. Like... Are you done? I'm done. Please, you... <laughs> All right, here we go. Excuse me.